It's episode number 38 of the Dev Hell podcast uh, with Chris Harches, Grumpy Programmer on Twitter, and in the other channel, or maybe even in the other ear if you listen to this in headphones, it's uh, Ed Finkler, Funkatron. Ed, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm still kind of mentally exhausted from True North PHP. I was saying to somebody that when you run a conference, it's like being a parent to 180 people, because that's how many tickets we sold. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's just really hard uh, to make sure everybody gets taken care of properly. Oh, yeah. it's it's You can, you can never have fun at your own party. Yeah, that's know? why I was kind yeah. of glad this year we decided to record the talks, because uh, I didn't get to watch any more than about, I don't know, 30 or 40 seconds of any one talk, because I would just pop in to make sure everything was okay. Or as the case was in a few talks, as you saw, um, lurk menacingly at the back and stare down people until they realized they were out of time, which was kind of fun in its own unique way. I have a picture of you giving uh, Sarah Golem on uh, the finger. Well, I was giving you the finger because I saw you had the camera up. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so it's uh, as we're recording this, it is uh, Remembrance Day 2013. Uh, I have a very depressing story to relate. But first, let's uh, thank our awesome sponsors because uh, money is not a topic that depresses me. Thank you so much to Engine Yard, uh, purveyors of the one of the most awesome platform as a service out there that you can find. They were trailblazers, one of the first out there. And in my opinion, still one of the best. If you like to run PHP, Ruby, JavaScript, I'm sure there's other stuff, Python, even maybe I should go look one time to find out all the stuff that they do. But if you like running your stuff in uh, scalable sandboxes, without having to worry about uh, doing all the system and stuff yourself, please check out engineered. Um, we appreciate their sponsorship. And also as always, Paul Reinheimer and will, um, from Wonder Networks for providing us with the bandwidth uh, to do the live streaming of this thing. And uh, Paul is a delightful, delightful person. I enjoy every single time I get to be with him, especially in a uh, nice, comfortable restaurant and or uh, pub setting, because he tells the most awesome stories about his experiences at the Wonder Networks. So um, before I relate my story, uh, let's talk about our guest. Uh, tonight we have uh, Jonathan Snook. Uh, CSS master extraordinaire and fellow Canadian. I sort of kind of know Jonathan from way back in the days when we were both involved um, in the cake PHP community, when I used to be a lot more aggressive in trolling people on mailing lists, but I now save my trolling for Twitter. So, uh, and I, I don't even know. I just remember seeing the email pop up from Ed that uh, he was speaking to Jonathan about having to come on. So Ed, what prompted you to ask uh, Mr. Snook to come on? Uh, I, a lot of people paying attention to him on Twitter. So I was hoping a lot of people would listen to this and we get more sponsors. Cool. Well, that would always help. So Jonathan, how are you? (laughs) Uh, I am okay. I should like totally tank this podcast so that nobody sponsors it ever again. I don't think you could actually do any worse than we do because man, we have said (laughs) some stupid shit on this podcast and people still keep coming up to us and saying they want to give us some money to sponsor it. So why don't you tell our awesome listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a web designer and developer, uh, writer, speaker, um, and now product manager. Uh, I work at uh, a lovely company here in Ottawa called Shopify. I uh, used to work at Yahoo, uh, freelance for a number of years. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good summary. I, I have a blog at snook.ca. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm around. Yeah, and I should say, I've actually known Jonathan for a while. It wasn't just purely out of uh, um, financial consideration, and I was hoping he would be a good get. But he is a good get. But, uh, no, Jonathan and I have known each other for a while, um, I think, from 
Didn't we both make Twitter clients back in like 2007? That we did. Yes. That's an, that's all I want to talk about. Oh, you did now. a Twitter client? I didn't know that. What what was it called? Uh, mine was called Snitter. Uh, Snook and Twitter. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Now Ed's uh, Twitter client outlasted mine by far. How many people still use Spaz, Ed? Any idea? Uh, I'm pretty sure that the API changes for the version oh, 1.1 yeah, thing. Yeah, that probably killed it off then. Yeah. It did, and uh, I mean, in theory, it wouldn't have been too hard, probably, to just... The big thing was that you have to be authenticated for every call, and that probably wouldn't have been too hard to do that, but I had said I stepped aside, you know, a couple of years back from the project, and... Um, I kind of handed the reins over and, uh, I, you know, people get busy, I guess, and it just didn't happen. So that did not get patched up. And so it does not, it does not work anymore. I, like I said, I pr- it probably wouldn't be that much work, but it's, uh, it's just a matter of, I have decided I need to move on to other things and no one else has done it. So, yeah. Now I have a question for you, Ed. Yeah. Uh, what, do you think it was worthwhile open sourcing the project? It was for me, yeah, because I actually learned a I learned a huge amount about it about um, managing like a team. I learned a lot about like the dynamics of that kind of stuff and how to manage folks in an open in a, in an open source project in general. Um, I think it, I learned a lot about how you empower developers and how you attract people to projects and things like that. And some things I did better than others. Um, I think that it 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 also the other thing is that I think that more and more as time went on uh it was important that it was open source because it was an open source alternative to other projects out there and I think that was part of its one of its like say primary defining characteristics. Now at the end of the day the other the thing I'll say though is that to end users, it is irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. Um, so I do not think that open sourcing it made more, like made a statistical, a statistically significant number of people use it more. Yeah, more people use it than, than not. But, um, I think that it was, uh, it was useful for like the, nerdy types and the developers and gave them an opportunity to participate. And I, I know some people have gone on and, you know, kind of started off doing that. And then like, I know a guy who actually works at Twitter now who, who, who had worked on the, did a lot of work on spaz on desktop stuff. And, um, I got to work with a really cool guy, Will Honey, who was like 16 or 17 and just super smart guy. And I think he's at UIUC now. Um, and he did a bunch of work on the, the second web OS version, um, I learned a ton about, um, JavaScript and stuff like that. And I know that like, um, so I, I was able to help, uh, some, I know some of the libraries I wrote were used in other projects too. And, and, and with, uh, and so to me, I really like that. Like that's valuable to me and rewarding to me to be able to share stuff and know that people are using it and, and that they found some useful stuff either as an example of how to do things like with the Twitter API or, Stuff like that. So for me, I found it really valuable. But I will say that as, like, as a, if you, I was looking at it as a commercial thing for an, as an end user product, uh, there was no commercial advantage to that. Absolutely not. Cool. 
uh, that was my little story. All right. So are, are we ready for my really super depressing uh, Remembrance Day story? Yeah, I think we're all ready to get bummed. All right, here we go. So um, as some of you might know, and I and I blogged about this um, four years ago. So some of you who haven't read my blog probably, some of you have read my blog probably know the story a little bit. So I'll try to do the uh, too long, didn't read version of it. So um, my uh, paternal grandfather was a soldier in the German army during World War II. And he was among the uh, unfortunate group of soldiers that got sent out uh, to Russia. And specifically, oh. specifically, he ended up fighting in the uh, Battle of Stalingrad, you know, when the Germans surrounded Stalingrad and then the Russian army surrounded the Germans. So he had two rings of people being laid to siege. So when the Germans um, surrendered, the um, Russian army um, grabbed everyone and sent all the German soldiers uh, by the train car load out to Siberia. And... Um, uh, dumped them out there and gave them like uh, axes and a bunch of stuff in the middle of the forest and said, if you guys want a place to sleep, you better start chopping down some trees. And anyone that disagreed got shot and killed on the spot. So um, so my grandfather uh, ended up in, a, in a, like a prison camp out there. And so he learned to, to read, write, and speak Russian. And he found out uh, after a while that uh, every year on Marx's birthday, um, Criminals uh, who had committed a certain category of a crime uh, could receive a pardon and be sent on their way. So he applied for several years to be pardoned, and eventually the pardon was granted. So all the so uh, all the German uh, prisoners uh, were told, "Okay, we're going to put you on a train. And we're going to send you to Berlin." So this was 1953 or 1954. So my grandfather was a prisoner in Russia for. Um, I guess that must be about 10 years. Um, so what they did, they put all the prisoners on the, on the railway cars and then they started going to Berlin and every, uh, every time they stopped the train to pick up prisoners or whatever, they marched everybody off and every 10th person was sent back on a train going the other way. So all the time he's going there, keeps getting off. He keeps hoping he's not the 10th. And, uh, when he got to the last stop before Berlin, um, he decided that if he happened to be the 10th guy, he was just going to run for it and take his chances with getting shot or whatever, because he said if he was to go back, um, he would be dead anyway. But, you know, luckily he made it to Berlin and then was able to get from Berlin to um, where my father's family was, which is um, in a part of Germany, uh, Gelsenkirchen, which is over near the uh, Germany-Dutch border. It's a coal mining country. Um, and it's just a little lesson that for many, many people, the war didn't end in like 1945 when Hitler was finally when Hitler committed suicide and the and the Americans and Russians both showed up in Berlin and started dividing things up. Um, for my family, um, the war wasn't over until the 1950s. So just a, just a little story uh, to enlighten people and educate them on Remembrance Day. Don't forget, I mean, uh, I, I think it's called Veterans Day in the U.S., but um, in any war, you should always remember both sides because people on both sides end up suffering um, in any kind of armed conflict. Yeah, no, that's a good thing to remember, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's you know because because you know my my father um, has never ever talked about um, what happened uh, during World War II. He was uh, he was born in 1936, so he was three when it started. Uh, his older brother, uh, my uncle, who lives in Los Angeles, uh, when I went and visited him, told me the story about my grandfather making it back from the from the prisoner camp in, in Siberia. And, uh, and he's talked a little bit more about it. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like it was pretty bad. Their house was bombed out a couple of times. Um, they lived off the charity of the church. Um, 
because certain family members didn't approve of a marriage and all sorts of other nonsense. And uh, uh, that's why my dad refuses to eat canned vegetables to this day. He had enough of them during the war. And uh, uh, I'm pretty sure um, my dad suffers still to this day. And this is like, what, 60 years ago, almost 70 years ago. Um, uh, post-traumatic stress from like having your house blown to shit while you're asleep. So, um, it, it, when I heard that story and this is like about 10 years, um, 10, 12, actually longer, just before I got married, it's almost 15 years ago. I heard that, I heard these stories for the first time. So it puts a lot of my, uh, uh, my dad's behavior in a, in a different light when you understand, uh, the heavy stuff that he went through. Yeah, I'd imagine. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's it's something I've been listening to a few podcasts about. There's a there's a really good one I think is worth listening to. It's called Hardcore History. Okay. Uh, who is that guy? What's that guy's name? Let me find it. Hardcore History. Uh, uh, oh, by Dan Carlin. Right. And uh, his he just does different sort of topics in history. They're really interesting. But the one I started that and the podcasts I should say are enormously long, like four hours long for each episode. Right. And he gets into great detail about stuff. And usually things I, I just learn immense amounts about whatever topic he's talking about, but he's talking about how the first, the, how the first world war started uh, on this newest one, which I think came out on October 30th. And it's very interesting. Um, And then it was a real quick, I guess I, on this topic, it reminded me of, I listened to a, well, the podcast was actually a radio show out of Los Angeles called Dark Secret Place. And it's it's a guy who talks about uh, basically foreign affairs, especially military foreign affairs, armed forces stuff. Uh, that sounds stupid. I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. But, but like, like um, uh, foreign policy stuff in the U.S. and things like that and uh, how, as it relates to the U.S. And he, he was talking about how the numbers – um, of say, you know, the people that we lose or say, especially in the U S that we've lost, say in, uh, it, it, let's say in, in Vietnam, uh, we lost 58,000 and, um, you know, uh, in, 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 in Iraq, I think we lost, uh, I think it was, what was it? Like four, 4,500, something like that. And I think in Afghanistan, the number is maybe a little bit lower than that. Um, and in, uh, was it, was it, I think it was in world war one. I hope I'm getting this right, but that, for example, the UK lost almost 4% of its population. Oh yeah. World war one was like a meat grinder for the, for the soldiers. Right. Because you had, you had the technology of the of the machine gun the automatic weapons and then yeah and then the 19th and then the 19th century tactics that they were were right exactly so you're just running like walls of people into machine guns right the movie gallipoli was a really good example of uh, the sort of stuff that went on my uh my parents you know took me to see that movie and they sort of i think felt like i should understand some of this stuff like they took me to see gallipoli and of course it's Probably the most depressing, one of the most depressing movies you're ever going to see. Oh, I agree with um, you there. Uh, and, um, uh, but France was the same way. France lost like four, over 4% of its population. And the other thing to remember is that, as this guy talked about, who does Dark Secret Place, he was talking about that, um, 
that was it wasn't just losing four percent of your population, but you're actually losing it from one extremely important segment, which is basically twenty one to thirty one year old men. So like if you in and I think in the UK at the time he said that it looked like that was about nine percent of the entire population. So they basically lost about half of the twenty one to thirty one year old men at the time. So that's like half of um, the men in a generation were killed. And so uh, that just, just the immense like effect that that has on, it's just, it's just, it has to have an enormous effect on a country. And, and it's just, oh my gosh, it's just crazy. Some of the numbers it was talking about, like some of the, some other countries lost like 12% of the population, something like, I mean, it's just nuts, just nuts. And so the orders of magnitude are just so different. And I, it, we just, we just don't understand what that was like. I think we haven't experienced anything like, you know, God forbid we ever do again, but it was, uh, you know, it, it deserves remembrance. And I sort of like that term because I think it is something to remember. Yeah. Um, so. Remembrance Day is a, is, is a, uh, is a humongous deal in Canada. It really is. Every major city has, uh, has a ceremony and, and, uh, um, it is one thing that I think a lot of Canadians, uh, even recent immigrants, um, take pretty seriously. So it's just interesting. All right. So enough depressing talk about war and casualties and stuff. Let's talk about before we, uh, start asking questions of, of Mr. Snook, uh, uh, some of you probably know that uh, True North PHP was last weekend, and uh, Ed came and uh, gave his incredibly impactful uh, open sourcing mental illness talk. And uh, once again, um, once again, the whole uh, the the conference went off really without a hitch. And uh, um, I think it's actually a, a testimonial to the amount of work that um, um, Pete and I do behind the scenes that people have no idea about. Just getting everything organized this year. I was the speaker wrangler. Um, I hope that uh, all the speakers had a good time and they felt that they were taken care of. And uh, I can't wait to do this again uh, next year um, with a few little changes. And um, we like to tweak things every every year um, just to keep it fresh and, and provide value to all the attendees. Um, rooms were full. People looked like they were having a good time. A surprisingly large number of people stuck around for my um, closing talk about uh, kind of building careers and how to stay involved in things. And we gave away some pretty awesome prizes to the attendees. So um, Ed, I was, I was extremely happy that you could make it this time. Cause I know last year, I think you had a family reunion. Um, if I remember correctly, a family reunion to go to. Um, is that right? Am I remembering correctly? No, you're remembering incorrectly. Oh, okay. uh, that was probably some other excuse I gave you. But um, no, it was uh, the the Code Connects concert. Oh, right. Not right. concert, Code, conference. Code Connects in Indianapolis. That's right. That's yeah. what it was. So, so, and that was like, and I was like, I had to rep the hometown, you know. Right. So, uh, so I'm really glad I got to come this time. And, of course, did my open sourcing mental illness talk. Um, and uh, that went over well. So, uh Hopefully nobody uh, kicked the uh, the power cord out on the video, so we'll be able to show that soon. I'm really sick, excited about that. I thought it went really well. Yeah. So, so we we did record uh, the talk. So hopefully, uh, and people could purchase because I mean we debated uh, doing it for free or not, and in the end it was decided we would pay some money to actually have uh, HD recordings and direct audio f- uh, from the mics. Uh, being recorded as well, so the audio audio quality should be really good. I just got my fingers crossed that uh, everything went okay with Ed's talk and that there were no problems because Ed uh, asked us to 
make the video available for free. And I said, as long as it recorded nice and cleanly, uh, we'd be happy to do that. So enough self-promotion. True enough. PHP was awesome. You guys should have been there. Uh, but let's start talking to Jonathan because otherwise we've been talking for about 25 minutes. And other than his, uh, very interesting uh, question of Ed asking him about his, what he thought about open sourcing spaz, he hasn't said much. So I think it's time to let Jonathan talk. Start talking. Start talking, buddy. Um, so the, the, actually, the, uh, we, we made some notes here. So the first thing is, there's kind of a parallel because uh, both Jonathan and I have kind of done this, like uh, the branding of yourself uh, in terms of like getting getting yourself out there and doing things. Because I know Jonathan's done, you've done like seminars and other stuff. And I think you've, I'm trying to remember now because I don't want to cheat and look. So I'm trying to remember what I was looking up before. Um, but um, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Ed's. It's typing something here. Um, but just it, like the whole experience on, on branding yourself. Now we did it differently because I chose more of like a whimsical, um, brand and my Twitter account is basically degenerate into performance art most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I try to tell people that because I find as I get more and more followers, the number of people who are taking the things that I say super seriously when I, I try to actually lead up to a few tweets to let people know that I'm, I'm actually not screwing around uh, when talking about certain topics, but I just find it interesting that I get that. I find myself more and more often having to tell people, no, this is, I'm actually joking about something here, not uh, not being serious. So why don't you talk about your experiences? Cause I've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about how I transformed myself into an internet superstar. So it'd be good to hear um, someone else's um, path, how they made it happen. It's, uh, well, I don't know if I can ever be as big as you are, Chris. Well, you already uh, are, so let's not be modest about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, a concerted effort. It wasn't something that just accidentally happened. Uh, there were certain things that I did. Um, I mean, it started off with the blog, and it was really about 2003. Um, so I had my site for a, a couple years at that point, and we're, we're doing some writing and mostly just talking about the stuff that I was running into, but then really trying to evolve the blog and the design and come up with ideas that I thought were interesting, um, that other people thought were interesting and, you know, getting, you know, a nice blog post that generated a bunch of traffic for a few days, uh, you know, was, was pretty exciting. And, and then from there, uh, actually making an effort to, uh, blog uh, for other sites. Uh, there were other online magazines that I got involved with as a way of getting my name out there. Really trying to demonstrate, you know, that, that and reinforce that personal brand. Um, trying to, you know, have a logo. Uh, the logo that I for a long time used pretty much everywhere. Uh, you know, I had associated myself with the color green. There was a, a number of things that I had done to help grow that brand and, and make it recognizable uh, so that anybody that, you know, heard the name Snook would hopefully associate it with me. Have you sued, uh, yeah. have you sued any people who also use Snook or like made them change their names? <laughs> everybody must now change their name. It's uh, it's actually kind of uh, funny. There's somebody here in Ottawa who also has the last name Snook who also does web development uh, I actually had done some government work uh, for those of us in Canada who are probably familiar with the NRC, the National Research Council. Uh, and I had done some work through um, contracting and had no longer 
worked there for a number of years. And I guess she came in and started working there. And all, of course, a lot of people there were going to be a little confused at the fact that, um, another snook, no relation whatsoever. Uh, in fact, we hadn't met until a, a year or two ago. Uh, and they're like, you know, is this your husband? Is there a relation? And, uh, very confusing. So it's kind of a bit of a running joke, uh, over the last few years. So it's not your husband. No, not my husband. <laughs> okay. All right. Not my wife either. Not my cousin, not my uncle, not my aunt. It just runs in the name, I guess. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a popular name. There's also like the person who has the at Snook username on Twitter is also a web developer. Ryan Snook has that account. Jesus, how many of them are you? I mean, she, like, wow, that's that for, that seems like a very uncommon name for it to have occurred so many times. I would agree, and especially people who are also web developers. That uh, I think is kind of surprising. So. Uh, a little unusual. I wonder which is a more popular name, Finkler or Snook. There's a lot of Finklers in Brazil. We found, um, and like there's a and there's a thing called Finkler Fest in mm. Brazil, like a giant, like family reunion, and uh, it looks crazy and Brazilian. Are you not? Um, you're not. I'm assuming you're not related to the Finklers in Brazil. Well. I may be very distantly related, but, um, Finkler is like a, it's a Jewish, like a German Jewish name. And so I assume there was some kind of action there. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I assume there's some kind of action. <laughs> that's all. That's all I know, bro. There's a, there was a book a couple of years ago called the Finkler question. That was, and there was that movie Finkler's list. That is not no. Oh no, that's Schindler's List. Oh, this sorry. is going in a, a dark direction that I did not intend it to. Hey man, you brought up Finkler. Yeah, that's true. That 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 was really the, the beginning. If there's one if there's one thing that's consistent on this podcast is that we are our own worst enemies. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Now let's let the guy who actually has yeah, something to I say know. talk. Okay. Some so more. personal branding. Blah blah blah. Internet superstar. Blah blah blah. Okay. So let's go on to the next thing that we had on here. So. You used to work for Yahoo, um, and now you're saying you work for Shopify, um, yes. fine, pur- fine purveyors of online shopping carts and various other sundry things related to purchasing things um, via the intertubes. Um, are you working remote, or do you schlep down to an office in Ottawa? Like, what's the dealio? I do now actually go into an office. Uh, after having worked remote for seven years, I decided to take an office job. Man, how can you do that? How can you do that, uh, man? After all those years at home? Like, I'm like... It's I, been like, nice. It's like, been it, nice, actually. Really? Well, I guess I guess your experiences with working in offices have been much different than mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, when I came on board, I'm like, I, I still want to work remote. I want to have that flexibility. So, like, half the week I'll come in and half the week I'll, I'll work from home. And uh, it just it kind of turned out where uh, pretty much any time I'm, I'm in town... Uh, I will be in the office and I like having the camaraderie. I like being able to easily talk to people without necessarily having to 
see if they're at their desk and get them onto a chat. Or oh, that's IM a difference. See, I'm a misanthrope and an asshole, so it works so much better for me being by myself in my office. I think that's the key difference. Personable snook, asshole heart. Just this is why it works out so much better for me, I think. Yeah, I gave up developing. I'm not a developer anymore. Yeah, there you go. Well, we both worked on cake, so I don't know if we should be really talking about that we're developers in any way, shape, or form. Oh, is that how you pronounce it? What? Cake? I thought it was cake. Cake <laughs> PHP. Well, I'll have to ask. We'll have to have Mark Story on sometime and ask him uh, the correct pronunciation. Did you say pronunciation? Yeah, pronunciation. That, that, okay. What is that? Not what? Now you're going to tell me that's not a real word? It's pronunciation, buddy. That's how we do it down south. Okay, but that's how they say it in Pawnee, but up here it's pronunciation. <laughs> oh yeah, Jonathan doesn't know the Pawnee Indian anyway. Doesn't know the joke. All right, no. We've we've been doing the podcast long enough. There's actually inside jokes about the podcast. Okay, so Ed had a note here about burnout. Ed, you want to uh, expand on that a little bit? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I wrote that down as like just a little reminder, and I'm not saying that you were saying that you were burned out, but you said something. I remember you made a, a a post on Twitter. Was it today or yesterday or something like that, where you like listed all, you counted up like the number of conferences and workshops and all these things you had done like in the past year or so, and you're like, maybe it's time to slow down a little bit. And it, 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 it rang, it resonated with me, and I was wondering if you could expound a little bit on that and how sometimes, like, there's this other side of, like, I, I guess, I'm, I'm in extrapolating a lot, but, uh, and applying my own experiences, but that when you go out there and sort of do kind of more of a campaign kind of thing, um, how you can get really burned out and feel like you have to stop and recharge and it can really take a toll on you. And I was kind of interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy couple of years. Uh, so there, there was um, a little book that I wrote and uh, it did fairly well. And therefore, I decided to do um, a conference talk around that uh, topic uh, on CSS architecture and ended up going to a number of conferences. Um, also organized a, a number of workshops uh, as well. So all told within the last two years, uh, I ended up speaking at 20 events uh, and did 13 uh, workshops. So it definitely made for a, a busy couple of years. And um, I, do you have any revelations? Like, are there times you tried to drink yourself to death? Or <laughs> uh, that's pretty much every night, actually. Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's 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 a lot of work, and I'm it's weird because I felt like for a long time I really struggled with productivity uh, to feel like I was actually getting enough done in a day. And I, I don't know where, when that feeling disappeared. Cause I, I, you know, if I look back over the last two years, I feel like, okay, wow, um, I actually managed to get a lot of shit done. And I, I don't really know how I did that. Um, it's kind of a bit of a surprise. 
Yeah, if you figure that out, let me know, because I certainly struggle <laughs> with that, too. Um, well, I, I've always kind of felt like I struggled a little bit with, like, boy, if I could just actually work hard, I could get a bunch of stuff done, and, like, ha- there's this potential, unfulfilled potential. Nah, that, sort of, but, that sort of stuff's nonsense, yeah. Ed. I wouldn't beat yourself yeah. up over it. I mean, I'm kind of the... Uh, kind of feel, in many ways, I feel the same as Jonathan. Like, uh, some, sometimes I'm like, uh, when I look back at, at the stuff that I've managed to get done, um, at like, um, uh, at, um, like, um, at the micromanaging level, I tend to just be, I usually plan every night the thing that I want to do. And then when you zoom back and look like over a six month period, you suddenly realize all those dots on your, uh, on my calendar that indicated I was doing something that, yeah, I really was, um, doing a lot of things and getting a lot of things done. So, um, people lie to themselves all the time about how hard they're working. A lot of people who work very hard try to proclaim that they don't work very hard and I don't know, that's some sort of weird um, Protestant work ethic thing. I don't, I'm not sure what to make of that that cultural idea that, you know, people who are, do good stuff always feel like they're not working hard. I mean, sometimes sometimes I work for five minutes and crank out some really good stuff and sometimes I stare at a screen for an hour and a half and I get nothing and I never feel guilt um uh, either way, it's like if, I, if my shit works, great. If it doesn't work, well, I can plan another night to come back at it and uh, and crank away at it. So um, I can certainly s- sympathize with Jonathan having long stretches of being super busy. Summertime is like that for me because of baseball and all the other stuff that I do. Oftentimes, I wonder um, how I manage to like not drink every single night, given all the stuff that I have to do, and, and a lot of the stuff. And a lot of stuff is just caused by me deciding to do stuff too. Yeah, it's kind of self-inflicted in a lot of cases. Yeah, sure. It? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, I know that uh, I, I've taken on a few extra things. Like I'm working, you know, I'm a school board member and junk like that. I think a lot of more like local community stuff, and that those things have ended up taking up a lot of my time. That uh, was uh, filled up with uh, well, probably a lot of dicking around before. But um, anyway, uh, we should probably include the guest in these conversations. Um, I, now, you mentioned that you're not working remote after you worked remote for a long time, and I'm kind of interesting if you could contrast, like, the experiences there a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was working remote, I, I worked really as a developer or as a designer or, like, in a situation where um, I had a lot of autonomy and could work on my own for extended periods of time. Certainly as a freelancer, uh, that's what I did. I mean, I was a... Uh, uh, for hire, so I would hired for a project and do that work, and I, you know, I could really be anywhere to do that work, and that was fine. I, that was definitely uh, what I liked. I enjoyed the flexibility of the schedule. I liked being able to drop my kids off at daycare and then pick them back up again. Uh, it was a really good thing to have um, at the time, and even when I worked at Yahoo. I still had that flexibility of schedule that um, I could really work whenever, just as long as, you know, I showed up for the meetings and, you know, the meetings were call in. So, um, you know, as long as I just phoned in and listened in on whatever the meeting was, I was still there. And and that was enough. Um, You know, at Yahoo, I would have to visit uh, maybe once every month and a half. I was out there maybe probably once every six weeks or so. And that worked okay. Then to contrast that with Shopify, uh, a lot of it is the flexibility. It's a great company to work for. Um, and as a result of that, it does have that flexible schedule that I can 
come in a little bit later to skip rush hour. I'm not, you know, sitting in traffic for an hour and a half, especially when it snows. Uh, I have the ability to work from home if I need to. So if, you know, if I'm expecting a package to show up or if I just feel like working from home today because I don't have a ton of meetings, then I can do that as well. That kind of flexibility still makes it a good environment. Um, there's, it feels like I get the boast of both worlds right now. So, you know, to be able to work from home when I want, to be able to go into the office when I want, to be able to enjoy that sort of office environment. And I, I understand that Shopify is an exception. If I was working for the government, I probably would have like shot myself by now. It's, uh, <laughs> that's not what I want. So I, I enjoy the atmosphere that Shopify has. Just would have eaten a gun. I get it. That's how I felt for many years working in offices and not, and never had a government job anywhere either. So the thing I find I want to ask you about is that now you've kind of transitioned from where you're not doing a lot of um, development work anymore. So what does that mean for kind of the, the whole Jonathan Snook brand? Uh, is it means that you've basically wound it down or you're going to move on to other topics? Like what's your thinking now that you're more like project manager guiding groups of developers doing stuff and not so much in the trenches anymore? It's one of those things that I've noticed over time that um, I would get known for something. So at one point I was known as a JavaScript developer. Uh, and then uh, there was a point at which um, mostly actually when I was at Yahoo, where that kind of shifted to where I became known more as a CSS uh, developer uh, or maybe known more for design. And uh, it's the, I think, ability to switch from one to the other. Like once I had hit a point where everybody had known me for one thing, I felt the need to change it up and try something different. And I think that this is an opportunity for me to try something different uh, to have a new experience. Cause for me, it's about learning. Like I, I don't want to just be that guy that does CSS or just that guy that does JavaScript or just that guy does that, that does cake PHP. Um, I want to have a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in my repertoire. I want a little bit more that, um, I learn and grow and get to enjoy to do new things. Yes. I was just moving in my squeaky chair, so I wanted to mute it, so people oh. did, people didn't hear me, uh, hear me, uh, hear me making all that noise. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, I'll be honest, I kind of struggle with that a little bit too. Not with the grumpy brand, because that's like a brand I think that can like go on forever without much help from me. Uh, but the topics that I cover, I've done a lot of deep diving into testing stuff, and often I wonder if it's it's time to expand the brand out and start. Um, covering other things, other programming related topics that I find interesting. And there's always a, there's always a worry that, um, there's a, to me, sometimes there's a worry of breaking out of the, breaking out of the categories that you've been known for. Um, what the impact of that? Cause a lot of stuff that I do is, is, is about the, is, is about money. I mean, I, I get very mercenary about it at times. So I want to keep that little side flow of money, um, coming in so I can like pay my mortgage off faster and things like that. So, um, it's interesting that you talk about you want to switch it up and, and learn how to do things. I, I struggle with, um, the decision of at, at some point, I, I fully expect that I'm going to get sick of doing some of the stuff I've been talking about and writing about. And, um, 
often wonder how I'm going to cope with that, whether I'm going to be okay with it or if I'm just going to like get completely schizoid or more schizoid than I could possibly be on Twitter, um, get more aggressive or just turtle down and proclaim that it's over. I'm not quite sure what to, how I'm going to eventually handle that. Yeah, I've certainly talked to um, other people that, you know, have kind of gotten known for something and they get to a point where they're just tired of talking about the same thing over and over again. If you're talking on a topic for, for years and then it's just like you, you don't feel like you're saying anything new, that you're not presenting anything that everybody hasn't already heard. Um, so it's the, the feeling of, of getting stale. Uh, and I mean, for me, it was just a case of um, I, I don't mind taking that risk with with new topics so that you know in two years from now if everybody knows me as uh, a product manager i'll be okay with that and maybe in two years i'll try something different and also people joke i should be go uh go become a professional magic player but i'm like yeah the ship is sailed on that one too <laughs> you should follow your dreams <laughs> oh man, don't be saying stuff like that to me. Ed. It's very dangerous. Some of these dreams I have, and it won't end up good for everybody. <laughs> your family's going to suffer. <laughs> That's right. That's the problem. When your dream means the rest of your family suffers, it's not so much a dream. It's really like a selfish thing. How did you, Jonathan, how did you end up making that transition from, uh, I'm working on my own, on my own stuff, and then uh, tricking somebody into having you manage people? So, it, uh, well, in the case of what I'm doing right now, I don't actually manage people. I manage a product. Um, I don't actually have anybody underneath me, um, just as far as like a company hierarchy thing. Gotcha. Uh, now, that, that might be kind of a semantic thing or not, um, but as a product manager, it, it's just that I'm managing the product. I'm not managing uh, anybody else. What I do is, is I determine what features we should be working on. Um, you know, what are the most important things that our customers need and prioritize those things and then go to the developers and designers and say, these are the things that I think we should be working on and here are the reasons why I think we should be working on them. And, you know, if I've done my job well, the designers and developers go, well, that makes perfect sense. Let's do it. Let's get this stuff done and out the door. And then, uh, you know, I can... Uh, review and make sure that we've accomplished the goals that uh, we set out for. So if, you know, this particular feature um, is supposed to save people time, let's track to make sure that, uh, you know, people are actually getting things done faster. And sometimes we succeed in doing that and sometimes we don't. And that's uh, it's a kind of fun to be able to do that kind of experimentation. Right on. Nice. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know, I, uh, I always sort of like... Um, the idea of uh, structuring things anyway, where people have roles and it's not necessarily there's a hierarchy, but some people just need to have roles where they're sort of making sure they're facilitating everybody and stuff like that. And then everybody else has their kind of things, but I've never, uh, never been really excited about the idea of uh, somebody is magically like a, a better person because they're or deserving of more respect just because they're in some kind of position. Like they have a role just like anybody else has a role in a company. And yeah. I don't want to manage people. I don't want to have to tell people what to do. Um, I've been in that role before and I don't like it. I don't like being like, okay, here's your to-do list today. I need you to do these five things and you need to tell me when they're done. I'd rather just be like, let's work on this stuff together. Let's solve problems together. And 
you know, at, at the end of the day, hopefully we're, we're both really happy with the kind of stuff that we're putting out there. And that feels a lot better to me. If, you know, if everybody has ownership over the stuff that they're doing, uh, so that I, I'm not having to be that person to say, you know, kind of leaning over the thing and saying, so yeah, I'm going to need you to come in this weekend. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up because um at Cinecore they have us doing like uh you know like personal growth plans i think they have some other internal name for them but mine's changed a whole bunch of times because i changed managers so uh, or as my old boss kevin says no no you don't have a manager because you have a handler um because i need to be i guess handled correctly um like you talk about not wanting to boss people around. So, you know, they have some new hierarchy, like here's the advancement paths for people within the company. And so, you know, my new manager says, well, you know, what do you see yourself doing in a year? And I'm like, kind of like, I've spoken with other people at length about kind of what my short and midterm plans are. And I kind of jokingly said, well, you know, (laughs) maybe I won't even be here in six months. And things got like really deathly silent during the talk. So um, it was kind of interesting because I'm kind of the same way. Uh, I don't want to, I don't really want to be bossing people around when I like, I tell people when I need something like, okay, can you get this done for me? And I don't want to have to harass someone and ask them multiple times. Um, have they done something? Because when I was a kid, uh, and I'd be doing chores at home and stuff, man, I hated being asked multiple times if I had done something, especially if it was like, if I was like right in the middle of doing it as well, which probably, uh, pre, you know, which probably leads to why I hate being interrupted as a programmer, a little, a little preview of my future. And I didn't even know it back then. But, uh, so they talk about the growth, like you, like, you know, you start off in this one typical position. It's like, okay, now from here, if you're a senior engineer, you can go down this path to be team lead. And then you go this other way towards principal engineer and the principal engineer path is you end up on the architecture team. And I'm kind of like, I don't even know if I want to be on the architecture team. Maybe I'm just kind of, maybe I'm just kind of cool with chillaxing in this principal engineer role. And I get kind of cool things to work on and I try out stuff and I help the team out when they're short and bang out some code when they need something done. It's kind of like, it's like a, it's like a comfortable position because you, you don't like, uh, I'm, I never like having these discussions. Where do you see yourself in five years? Cause many times the correct answer is uh, as far away from here as possible in five years. So, I mean, I don't know what to really say to people all the time when they ask me what the plans are. Cause ultimately it's like, I, you know, I'm, uh, I want to work for the biggest asshole I know, which is me. So. It's just kind five, of five years is way too long to plan. Oh, that's, I mean, I've and never, and, yeah, that's 50, that's 50 years in internet time. As far as I'm concerned, like, man, it's like, oh, man, I, don't absolutely. Even, I, don't, I don't even know what I might be doing tomorrow. And you're asking me what's going to happen in, in five years. I mean, I don't know. It's just, uh, just Jonathan's talking about the, about the, you know, managing products instead of people just put me in, put me in remembering my conversation with my new manager about, growth opportunities, all this stuff. And I just look at the chart and go, man, I don't care if I ever get higher than a principal engineer because at Cinecore, there's enough cool stuff for me to do. And I don't want all that added extra pressure of like feeling, feeling like I'm being forced to drive up the ladder. So I can't, can't someone just kind of be like, say, this is where I want to be right now. And I have just, I have things just the way that I want them. And, uh, and like, please don't fuck around with them. Cause I kind of like what I'm doing right now. I came across a, a joke that almost seems appropriate in this context. Um, so, uh, ladies, if a man says he'll fix it, he will. No need to remind him every six months about it. I feel like, you know, apply that to a team of developers. <laughs> right? if, if the devs say they're going to fix it, no need to remind them every six months about it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think I the worst. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go Debbie Downer, but I feel like I went a little bit there. It just, it just. Gosh. Just, I always hate. I just, sorry, Ed. I'll, I'll, st- <laughs> I'll stop talking over you, and then I'll be quiet. I just, I just hate those meetings where they kind of ask you, "What do you want to do?" Because many times, I'm like, man, I don't even know what I want to do tomorrow. Sorry. Well, first, I 100% agree. I, the, the uh, I've had no plan for my career whatsoever, and basically just, you know stumbled my way into anything that actually happened. So I, uh, you know, I, I just, something interesting, like that's the only thing I, the only criteria I've ever had, uh, or I hoped <laughs> that I had something like that. Um, but the one thing I was going to say was when I was starting out at stuff, I worked for, uh, out of pretty much out of college. I worked for four years at a company. I was actually owned by Notre Dame, but it was, uh, uh, a for-profit and they had an interactive division. I worked in that. And after a couple of years, they put me in charge of uh, like the, all the web development stuff. And it wasn't a big team. It was, you know, five or six people or something like that. But the worst part of it was dealing with like HR stuff. Cause I had to be like, uh, you're talking on the phone too much or, you know, stuff like that. And I just, it was, that was so bad. It was just not what I wanted to do at all. And that, that part really sucked. And, um, I, I think I, I wouldn't, I didn't mind the sort of like, um, you know, uh, facilitating and team leadership stuff so much, but boy, that HR stuff was just absolutely horrible. And that's not what I ever wanted to do again, ever, ever, ever. I mean, I thought at one time I wanted to go down that track of like team lead and, and, uh, boss people around and get stuff done. And then I discovered that no, that wasn't what I wanted. Uh, after finding some cool places to work, it's like I realized that, uh, bossing people around wasn't going to make me happy. So there was kind of no point in going down that route. But you do seem to enjoy yelling at people. But that's different though. Like you can yell at people no matter what your job is. So that's kind of just, that's, it's safer because if you're in charge of a bunch of people, then there's m- more consequences for yelling than if you're just like a developer on the team. Cause they can just kind of go, ah, oh, Chris is just letting off some team. But if like, if you're the boss and you're yelling, people are like, man, that guy's an asshole. Um, and there's different, uh, uh, different ramifications for being that way. Yeah, that's probably a good point. That's a bummer, though. You should be able to yell at anybody you want to. Well, I'd yell anyway, um, and everyone's aware of that. So it's, you know what I mean? It's you, you establish the reputation early, and then people grow to expect it. So it lets you do the stuff you really want to do, but make people think that it's them that's deciding it. There you go. Jonathan, do you like yelling at people? Jonathan does uh, not strike me as the type that likes to yell at people at all. He's a real screamer. <laughs> I, 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 I tend to be a, a fairly uh, timid person around the office. Uh, I, I'm not one to yell um, around the office. I feel like I keep qualifying that as around the office, like elsewhere. I'll yell. <laughs> uh, you, guys should, you guys should have heard kids. him before we went on the air. He was like a maniac. And then once he, he slipped into character once we started recording. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all part of the brand. I got to maintain the brand. Cool, cool, calm and collected. Jonathan Snook, and we all know the truth. Once the mic, once the the recording stops. All yes, right. Basically. What else do we have on our list here? We can remember. Yeah, we used to work on cake, uh, uh, PHP um, uh, together tangentially a little bit. How did you? How did you get involved in in cake PHP? 
Uh, I was building websites using PHP and uh, didn't like any of the other frameworks out there. Um, there wasn't a whole lot, really, I guess, at the time. I mean, this was felt like when KPHP started to take off. Uh, it was really before Zend had uh, their framework. Uh, there was, uh, what was the other big one? Codeigniter. Um, but I felt like Codeigniter was way too simple. It wasn't much more than what I was already using on my own. Uh, and I kind of liked a lot of the auto magic stuff that uh, came with KPHP. I liked the fact that it really kind of saved me from a, having to do a lot of the stuff that I wanted to get done. Like, let me just, let me just build some stuff. And I, I've always enjoyed that, that part of it. It's like, okay, it automatically handles the roots. It like automatically knows what files the, the whole convention over configuration is something that I really like. Yeah. I got in, I got involved with cake PHP because, uh, the place I was working at the time, the owner, um, wanted to get some reports going for, um, for Google analytics. So this is like around 2005 or so. Um, and, uh, Felix, uh, guys and uh, who's now like big time node guy and doing a lot of stuff with Google go, um, had written some little library, some app thing that worked with cake to, uh, to let you pull in all that data and generate and generate some some uh, charts and graphs and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that was kind of my gateway into using Cake PHP. I ended up going to the first Cake PHP conference they ever did and wrote a few little minor things and um, trolled a lot of people on the mailing list and uh, and then eventually moved on to do other stuff. But uh, Cake PHP will uh, always hold a special place in my heart. It was my gateway into the insanity that is PHP frameworks. I'm Aren't sorry. You? Yeah, yeah, really. I think that's a I think it's sad for everybody really <laughs> that was a It's a good discussion of remembrance. All uh, frameworks suck, yours especially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, we got anything else to talk about here? I don't think so. Is there anything else is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Jonathan, because we kind of been driving the topics here. What is something you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I I, I... Don't really have anything to be honest. It's uh, you know, uh, I, I like it when people ask me questions. I, cause I I've, I'm never really that creative enough to come up with questions to talk about myself. Well, well, we tried, Ed. We tried. Yeah, I guess so. You know, uh, do you have anything else to plug? Do we like? Do you want to tell people how awesome Shopify is? Shopify is. Uh, we're hiring too. But really? we're, we're, uh, do you hire remote? We, uh, we do have some remote workers. <laughs> I'm, making uh, we a, do. I'm making a joke, Jonathan. We, 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 we also have a Toronto office. We have a Toronto office. Uh, and we have an office in Montreal. I like Montreal for reasons that I will yeah. not go into on the podcast. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe. Our, our office is really close to St. Catherine street. I'm just well, saying maybe we can do it on uh, dev hell after hours. We can talk about why I like going to Montreal. It's a good call. <laughs> so, you, so actually, because we never actually uh, talked about what to explain to people what Shopify actually does. Uh, so Shopify is an e-commerce platform, um, although we've now pretty much shifted into a commerce platform because we also have a point of sale uh, software and Ooh, system nice. uh, that very also nice. ties in with the online system. So you got nice centralization of not only your customers and inventory and uh, it's just uh, a very cool system like that. We've also got a, a mobile app, so you can 
you know, manage your store on the go. And uh, I actually sell my book, uh, Smacks, Scalable and Modular Architecture for CSS, uh, which I hadn't actually mentioned earlier, I don't think. And uh, I sell it on Shopify, which is pretty cool. It's a nice little platform. Nice. Uh, do you want to uh, tell us how to get them as a sponsor? <laughs> uh, uh, that might be an after hours thing. I, I, I could probably pull some strings. Pull some. Sweet. Perfect. This is all coming what, together. What is your listening audience? Like five people? That's got to be worth Oh, like, that hurts. Uh, wow. it's like a, I think we're in double digits. Double nice. digits. Yeah. Yep. It's me, Ed, and anyone who's in the IRC channel. That's who the listeners are. <laughs> yeah. That hurts, Jonathan. Like, you were acting nice, and then you just had to, like, dagger us like that at the Zing. end, man. Wow. It's right maybe, near the end. Maybe this episode I'm going to do air quotes is going to get lost. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, that would be a shame. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a real shame. It'd be a real shame if anything happened to your episode there, Mr. Snook. I think that I just wasted an hour of my time. Talking, talking <laughs> to us is never a waste of anybody's time. Oh, yeah. Because, man, oh, we yeah. are two guys who love to talk, that's for sure. We were actually going to do a podcast at, uh, at, uh, True North, but when we, when we, like, we didn't have, like, when we didn't have a mic, like, right then and there, both Ed and I were like, nah, too much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were too busy anyway. You had too much on your mind anyway. I, I, I could have like, talked, but it was just kind of funny because, like, man, if we don't have like the mic like right here, right this millisecond, there's no way it's happening. And the guy's like, "Oh, I could go yeah. and get you the mic." I'm like, "Yeah, no, if you don't have it right here, it's don't worry about it." <laughs> yeah, nah, that's nah, don't worry, that's fine. Nah. Especially when nah. Ed started like regaling me with stories about how it's so much extra work if when like the two of us are there together and we're talking, and and how when we do this over Skype, it's like the easy it's way easier or actually not easier just ed has to do less work to make the thing sound palatable than if the two of us were there in the same room which, yeah, I, definitely. which I didn't know i i assumed it would have been the same level of pain in the assness uh, no matter what well that you can compensate for it by not trying as hard yeah that's true and our effort level uh, it, it uh, our commitment wavers back and forth uh so anyway jonathan thanks so much for coming on it was uh it was awesome to actually finally talk to you instead of exchanging emails nine years ago so um always good to have a fellow canadian on here and uh mad props to shopify good canadian company doing some very interesting work in the uh not just the e-commerce, but the commerce sphere. The point of sale stuff, that must be a, a very interesting uh, market to get into, but well, we're out of time, and I don't feel like really talking about it on this podcast mm. anyway. So this has mm. been episode number 38 of the Development Hell podcast. I want to thank Jonathan Snook for coming on. Um, as always, let's thank our sponsors, Engine Yard, fine purveyors of platform of a service. I took a quick look. They do uh, Ruby, they do PHP, they do Node, and I'm sure they probably do some other stuff that they don't publicize because I know most of these uh, platform of a service people can hook you up uh, if you have enough time and enough money. Uh, so if you're into running your applications in a scalable sandbox because you don't like doing admin stuff yourself, 
I highly recommend you check them out. And thanks to Paul Reinheimer and the Wonder Network folks for providing us with the bandwidth so the people in IRC and those not in IRC can listen to Ed and I ramble on back and forth. Uh, you can find every single episode we've ever done on our website at devhell.info. You can find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. Uh, during bro- broadcast, you can come into Freenode into the Dev Hell channel and heckle us and ask questions and make fun of the way I pronounce words because I'm Canadian. You can find me on Twitter as Grumpy Program Without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Uh, thanks so much, and we look forward to getting episode 37 with Paul Jones and 38 uh, up on the uh, internet as quick as possible. So, uh, good night, internets. Good night, internet. Good night, internet.